Welcome back to the Dr. Zanzi McLaurin podcast, Powerful Purpose, one of the top growing self-help podcasts, and I could not do that without your support. So thank you so much for tuning in each week and listening to the podcast and writing your reviews. Please continue to write those reviews because I do love reading them. Don't forget to share and like the podcast as well, because there is so much for us to do in this world, and I want you you and everyone to live their life on purpose with their purpose and do it intentionally. I want you to continue to write your own story and to not give that pen to anyone to write it for you. So continue to live such a purposeful and intentional life. Hi, I'm Dr. Z and welcome to the Dr. Zanzi McLaurin podcast, Powerful Purpose. For over the last 25 years, I have helped thousands of individuals improve their lives and well-being. I believe that each of us has a purpose, a unique assignment, and a calling in life. And I believe that calling comes from God. Finding and knowing your purpose ultimately leads you to peace. So with this podcast, we will talk all things life, business, relationships, health, wellness, and strategies to help you live your life to the fullest and own it. I love helping others be the best version of themselves. Remember, you have the power to transform your life and go beyond where you are now. You hold the pen and I want to help you write your own story and live your life on purpose with your purpose. Let's dive in. Today, my special guest on the podcast is Dr. Guy Gieske, the CEO of Children's of Mississippi at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Dr. Guy Gieske truly is a transformational and servant leader that leads with the strength of his vision, his passion, and the garnership of trust. In this powerful packed conversation, we talk about his leadership trajectory as well as when he knew he was walking in his purpose with his passion of healthcare, as well as how he leads his teams effectively and some of those habits that have made him so successful in his career. You don't want to miss this conversation with Dr. Guy Gieske. Hi, welcome to my podcast. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, and I appreciate you having me, and it's great to, great to visit with you tonight. Yes, we're going to have some great conversations, and I'd like to start off, and I know the people here in Mississippi know a whole lot about you, but do share with us a little bit of your journey and how you got into healthcare. and I know that I'll have a lot more questions for you, but take us down that journey really quickly. Okay, thank you. It's a well, it's I I wish I could say something that was I was inspired um, or something really, really profound like that. But I'll say what happened was I was in uh, I got I went into college not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, Mm -hmm. Abilene Christian University, I was the third generation to go there. Um, And so and then I got it and I, I chose business because I was like, well, that's what, you know, my cousin and I had a good business school and I thought, well, maybe this will lead to something. And so I got out of college and still didn't know what I wanted to do. 
And so I was really kind of confused about where to go. And I was thinking about graduate school and um, an MBA and went to the University of Houston to meet with the counselor there to talk about the MBA program. And she didn't right. her appointment. So I was looking through a catalog in her office and it had a master's in health administration program. And I said, that sounds really interesting. And so I started looking into it. And about a month later, I was enrolled. And then I just started the process. And so, um, uh, and, and my cousin, who was my roommate all four years of college, he said, you know, after I joined, got in the program, he said, do you remember when we were sophomores and you said to be a hospital administrator? And I said, yeah, kind of. And he said, so, you know, but I do think it was one of those things that was meant to be. I really do feel like I led down that path. Um, and so I, I do feel like that's where God wanted me to be. Um, but so from there, um, I, I got a job at the Memorial Hermann system in Houston and doing billing and collecting. I mean, I started at the, at the front end uh, on the right. And um, like I tell a lot of people, and you know this, uh, well, if you're not a clinician or a clinical person um, or have like a, a specific skill, um, you basically can't just go into, even though you got a college degree and you can't just jump into healthcare administration. You've got to kind of work your way up into different ways. And then went from there to uh, become a registration person and then a, a financial counselor. And then my um, the, the chief of the revenue cycle um, said, we have a new hospital we just took over in the Woodlands, Texas. We need somebody to be the business office supervisor to coordinate moving um, those uh, that that transitioning it to the the central business office over the next year or so, and that's when I became a, a the first leadership position, and then uh, from there, um, basically went to uh, administrative residency after about a year and a half there, and then um, took a job at uh, at the same place, the Children's Hospital I was working at at the time, uh, Driscoll Children's Hospital. And, uh, and then just kind of came from there to a vice president at another system and then a COO. And then um, I was really looking at a CEO position about 11 years ago. I was looking at um, basically two opportunities. One was, um, I won't list the system, um, but I, there was another adult hospital. And then this, this opportunity, and I, I thought, you know, I really did miss children's hospitals. Um, and so I chose this and it's been a great opportunity for, um, otherwise I wouldn't be here for 11 years, but it's been, it's been a great journey. Absolutely. And I tell you, I have been so impressed with you. I've been impressed with your leadership. I've been impressed with you as an individual. I've also been so impressed with you as a colleague because we've taught classes together and to just be amongst the knowledge that you have and the passion that you have for what you're doing really resonates so loudly. So I have a question that I want to ask you and you've kind of touched on it, but you know, when you initially started into your journey of 
healthcare, you didn't quite know where you wanted to be. When did you truly know that you were walking in your purpose? And I will say when I when I first saw that program, I thought this is exactly, you know, kind of my interest, you know, and and I something that I was looking for. Um, and so I think when I when I saw that and that opportunity and I didn't even know it existed. And I, I thought, you know, um, I really love science. I really wanted a job that was had a lot of different facets to it, you know, that was complex. Um, and I didn't want to do, and I thought about law school, I will say, and I thought one of the reasons I didn't want to do it, well, one reason is I was already in debt and I couldn't afford too much more. Um, two, that that I was, I just really didn't want to do the same thing every day. And, and, you know, and there's a lot of lawyers that do a lot of different things, but I'm just saying that that's something that I changed. But I think after I made that choice um, and I got that first management job, even though it was a supervisor job and I was probably 25 years old or so. Um, yeah, about 25. Uh, and I thought, I'm really pretty good at managing people and, and, and things. And I, I felt like, you know, I, this is something that I could do. It wasn't just a, hey, I'm going to go through the steps and become a manager. This is really something that I can, that I can do and lead people. So that's kind of really where I felt like I was moving in the right direction. Wow, that's amazing. And Guy, you, when you walk into a room, people will kind of look at you and guess. They have to get to know you to truly know that you are very passionate about what you do. And you are leading the charge over so many. So I want to ask you this question. How do you get your teams to buy into your vision? And what truly is your vision? Sure. And I think it's, um, first and foremost, I think it's, uh, you've got to show that you care. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, you care about the individual people, you care about the organization, you care about the mission of, of the organization. And I think first and foremost, you can be the best speaker in the world um, or the, you know, the smartest person. But if you, if you really are in it for yourself or you are you apathetic about your mission, then people will pick up on that. And I think that's first and foremost to me um, is you got to demonstrate to people. I think the other thing is you've got to be able to um, exhibit that you're willing to do everything that you're asking other people to do. And, you know, if you're uh, saying, hey, we've got to make a connection to, as an example, um, other parts of the state, well, you've got to be the first person out there um, doing that and, and doing the hard work. Um, but I think uh, from a, and I'll start with what our mission is. Our mission with the Children's Hospital is to, and uh, it's formed as a promise. Our promise is to touch every child in Mississippi and, and to improve the health of them by providing world-class health care educating tomorrow's leaders and, and promoting discovery and innovation on the three facets of, of the UMMC mission. Um, our vision, so, and I'll just say what the Children's Hospital vision is first, is to touch every lot, child in the state 
you know, it may not be that we're taking care of every child uh, and we don't want to. We, you know, hopefully most children are healthy and don't need us to take care of them. But we're training pediatricians. We're we're training nurses and respiratory therapists and and others out there. We're providing research that's going to impact children's lives. Um, We have uh, multiple researchers in the children's hospital that have done uh, groundbreaking research on COVID example that's that's helping all the children in the state and the in the world really so uh, those are things that I think from a vision standpoint but from from the things that that my vision for me and for this children's hospital and I'll say when I first started it was more along the lines of okay I'm a new CEO I got to do a good job and and I was very operational focused and um, and where I've gone over the last several years is, OK, we've got to be one of the best children's hospitals in the country. Um, and it's not just about taking care of the children in the state, but how do we compare and how are we one of the best children's hospitals in the country? Because all of our competition are some of the best children's hospitals in the country and, and, and children's of Alabama and Arkansas and Labonner and New Orleans a great, great organization. So if we're going to keep the patients in the state and you really need about two to three million people in the state population to support a full service children's hospital. So we've got to be one of the best children's hospitals in America for us to be able to do that. And so really what my vision um, has really turned into and evolved into and I would say even even now it's it's evolving even more. It's we're we're an outstanding children's hospital. We're one of the best in quality. Um, how can we be one of the best ambulatory children's organization um, and those kind of things and access? Um, so it, it's evolving even still. That that initial vision. Very good, guy. That's such great information. And you and I have been a part of our institution for you 11 years and me over 25. So I'm kind of telling my age, but I started very young. Thank you for me. Absolutely. It has been such a pleasure to serve my organization and to serve my communities. And I know you feel the same. And so I want to ask you this question from what you just mentioned to me about vision. I am a fan of the 5am club. I believe in getting up getting up early, doing my meditation, having my daily practices to keep my momentum. What are some of your habits that you do each day that keep you moving into your momentum, keep you moving and pressing forward with a job that I know is extremely stressful and extremely demanding? Yeah. So, um, and I wish I could say I get up at 5 a.m. and do this, you know, meditation and, and all of those things. I, I'm impressed with that. Uh, you know, I'm one of those people and I've always been like this. If, if I need to be at work at seven, I, I wake up like at six o'clock and <laughs> and I'm, I'm showering and getting ready and out the door. And, and, and you know, so. But um, I do feel like, uh, you know, I do try to get get to work at a, at a good time before uh, activities start and before meetings start. And I think that's important. Um, 
practices, regular practices that I, I follow. Um, I try to exercise uh, three or four times, a week, which is important. Um, and, um, and I think that that's uh, very important for, uh, for me. Um, and I've done that since I was younger. And then uh, when I first had my first daughter, uh, I got I quit for a little while and, you know, it threw me off and I got what gained about 20 pounds and, um, and I was like, okay, I got to get back on, on, on track here. But the other thing I do is, uh, you know, in terms of spiritually, I, I, I try to read the Bible regularly. Um, and I, I, I hope it's okay to share all this, but, uh, Absolutely. Uh, um, but I read, I, I read at least seven chapters a week, you know, one chapter a day. Sometimes I'll read three in one day or, you know, and stuff like that. But, but um, I think that that's very important uh, for me to do. And then I think the other thing is just I try to read uh, regularly and, um, and I'm a big fan of history. Uh, and so, you know, I'm not like a voracious reader, but I try to read anywhere from seven to nine books a year, not necessarily, you know, leadership or work related. It kind of helps me. Um, see the world in a different way. I think history is one of those things that um, it helps you get a more broad perspective of life and, and your work world. And as a leader, uh, it's weird how to me that uh, George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or, um, you know, anybody, uh, you know, early leaders uh, in America, very similar um, things that we go through and think about today. Um, or, or you could go back to the Bible. Leaders in the Bible say that they think about things. They're going through some of the same challenges that we do. I love that. And, you know, I'm all about purpose. And I believe that everyone on this earth has a divine purpose that God has given us. And for you to mention God is amazing to me because some people in our world, of the professional or corporate world, we don't tend to express that often, but it's so good to hear. And I see it in your actions that you do have such a great faith and belief in God because he is the one that truly is your pillar to keep you going and doing what you do every day. So yes, you can talk about God on this podcast. My other question that I have for you, Guy, is this. Do you think that leaders are born are made or both? I definitely think it's both. Um, and I think um, you, uh, many people have an innate ability and I've worked with some that are just so much more smooth than I am and just in terms of their ability to, to lead. And I've, I work with some now that I'm so impressed with um, their their innate ability. But, um, and at the same time, it's, it's a, uh, you can have innate ability and just not really exhibit it and not really care uh, about uh, things. Again, it comes down to caring. Uh, you can be able to lead, but not want to. And, um, yes. and uh, the other thing I think is, uh, and, and uh, to, to kind of go back to your other question about uh, vision and importance for your employees is I think you've got to make, want to make a difference. You know, I tell my kids that, you know, and uh, it, it was weird because one of my my middle daughter is in college now and, you know, she's thinking about a, a major and she talked about, you know, I want to find something that 
I'm going to make a difference in. But do something that you're also good at, you know, and that you're going to be passionate about. And so, um, but anyway, I think that's that's important um, too, is to make a difference. Absolutely. When we are pressing forward and truly living in our passion, because our passion will ignite us and lead us to our purpose. And so when we have all of that together, it just makes things flow well. So I want to ask you this too, Guy. How do you know or can you answer your why every day? What is your why every day? Why do you get up every day and do what you do? Sure. So I I think, you know, one of the big whys is just what I just said is I do want to make a difference. Um, I do want to um, help the children of Mississippi. I want to uh, have an impact on the health care of the children in this state. Um, And so uh, that's that's one of my big whys. Uh, Two, I want to make our organization successful. Uh, Sometimes those always don't align um, perfectly. So sometimes you got to figure out ways to to uh, create that alignment, Um, you know, because financial quality and other successes um, don't, you know, not necessarily always align and you got to figure out how to balance that. Um, I think the other why is, um, you know, I want to uh, in, impact my family. I want to have an impact on them um, and on a daily basis. And, and I also want to have an impact on the people I work with. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I will say, you know, not every day I wake up saying, okay, I want to have an impact on, you know, these people. But I think, you know, if you look at my, uh, what, what, I, what drives me, um, is I feel like I'm having some kind of influence in the world around me. And, um, and, and I would say, I wouldn't say that that was always that the case, you know, even, 10 years ago, when I first took this job, I always wanted to make an impact, but it wasn't always with the thought of, of uh, making a difference in other people's lives the way that I do now. Right. Oh, I love that. And so that will lead me to ask you this question. And I know some of them, but I want you to share with us, what is one of your biggest challenges you have faced or are facing in your role as the CEO of Children's of Mississippi? So, and there are a number of them. uh, And I think uh, one of the challenges, and I'll just say on a global scale is, uh, is the state is not, really well resourced. Uh, And so uh, in our children's hospital isn't the most well resourced and UMMC is the same way and you you know that. But uh, I tell my team and I always say this is we don't, and I tell myself this is we can't ever let that be an excuse why we can't be one of the best children's hospitals in the country or um, have the impact um, we need to. So I think that that is one uh, challenge. I think the, another challenge is um, the fact that we, to get to that two to three million population, we are, uh, I have to cover the whole state, the, the children's hospital does. And so 
uh, trying to keep our uh, influence in multiple with multiple clinics and partnerships with other organizations uh, and having an impact on children's health care in areas which you have to drive three hours to go see what you're doing in those areas and keep your your uh, hand on I think is a is a pretty significant challenge along those same lines is doing um, the first two with the fact that the state is really not growing. Uh, and so, you know, I have colleagues and, you know, as an example, Dallas or Nashville, and uh, they're 90% or 80% of their markets right there. And it's growing like crazy. And it's a great payer mix and everything else. So uh, it's, you know, it's just a challenge to do what we've done. But we've got great support from the, the community. Um, we have outstanding physicians um, and, and leaders and staff, nurses um, that are so committed to this day. Um, and, and we have some that are from other states like leaders in the children's hospital, like from California or New Jersey, or uh, and if they hear this, they'll, they'll, they'll know who I'm talking about. Um, and, but they're here because they feel like they can make a difference. And that's one of the values that we have, and you know this at UMMC, is uh, we can make a difference in the state, uh, and you feel it. Uh, and you might not be able to see that in when you're the third children's hospital in the market. Yes. And so that leads me to asking you this question. I see you as a thought leader. I see you as a visionary. I see you as that participatory leader. How do you perceive yourself as a leader? What do you see yourself in your activities as a leader and how you lead? Yeah, I think, uh, I think one is from a leadership style, I like to be involved and, uh, and, um, my team will tell you I'm often down at their office knocking on the door or going in and talking to them probably a lot more than they come into my office. But they, uh, they, I will go and talk to them, and I think that they feel like they can come and talk to me. I do try to, to see and talk to, to different uh, constituents and different um, people outside of the hospital on a regular basis. I, I think it's good to get that uh, perspective as well. Um, but as, as a leader, I think being able to uh, have, a, have um, uh, some relationship with both our physicians, our staff, other leaders, uh, other people in our system, other in UMMC, uh, and then our, our community as a whole and other physicians, I think, is very, very important to me. The other thing I think as a leader it, that's important is uh, that, I, that I see myself as doing is uh, I like to also at times really make sure I understand what's, what the information is telling us. You know, mm. data-driven and information-driven, I think it's very, very important to me. Uh, and making sure that you're making decisions, not just, uh, I think gut instinct is important, but, but it's got to be based on fact. And we have enough very smart people at UMMC that if you start trying to say this, this is what I think we need to do without supportive information, 
then that's not fly very far, and it shouldn't. Exactly. And, you know, one of my things that I do as a leader, and you mentioned it earlier in one of the other questions that I ask you, is being approachable. I think as a leader, we have to be approachable. We have to also, like you said, make sure that we are willing to do what we ask our staff to do. And when we are approachable and when we do stand out and do the things that our teams may not think that we're going to do, I think you truly garner their buy-in and you truly garner their ownership. And I truly see that in you. And I, I appreciate that from all of your efforts and in my interactions with you and teaching the courses and just in our passings, I truly see that you are holding to the heart of what you do. You lead with good, good grace and good grit that a leader needs to have these days. So my next question for you is this guy, what do you do to continue to learn, to continue to stay in the game? No, that's a great question. Um, and I think, like I said, one thing is just, uh, I try to make sure I'm reading, uh, not just in healthcare. The other thing is I'm, I'm, um, I'm part of uh, the involved in the Children's Hospital Association. So understanding what, what other children's hospitals are doing, I think is important. Uh, and, um, and trying to benchmark ourselves against, you know, some of the best out there. Uh, and I think the other thing is just um, staying uh, active in terms of reading and what's going on with, within the healthcare industry is, uh, is important. And, and I think, you know, COVID has been one of those things we've gotten uh, less uh, inclined to do formal uh, education because trips have been kind of off the table for a while. And so, right. but in the past, I've always made sure that I'm trying to go to some different learning opportunities outside of the organization. And uh, I'm about to, the Children's Hospital Association, as an example, as one that's going to be all virtual coming up in November. And uh, so it's going to be interesting. It's like an all day, all day and a half, uh, trying to be focused for that long on Zoom is going to be, I don't know if I can do it, but uh, I'm going to try. But I think those are important. And I think, uh, you know, too, relative to me on learning and, and oh, I would say too, I try to, uh, read from a business standpoint other things besides just healthcare. I think it's important to look at, uh, you know, whether it's Fortune magazine or Wall Street Journal or things like that. I think it's important, um, at least for me. But I think the other thing uh, for me is uh, that at times you need to step, take a, a step away uh, from it. You know, you can't push your push yourself all the time to constantly be learning. So there will be times where I might take a month or two where I'm not doing a whole lot of extra other than going to work uh, and doing some of the basic things or the everyday things that I do. Uh, so I, it's just something that I found is important to just so that I'm, and then I'll be, it's, it's a lot of times it happens around November. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to, I got these three books I'm going to read and, and then I'll start kind of really getting active again. Well, what do you do in your pastime, guys? I like to play golf. Uh, I don't get to do it as much as I, I would like to, 
but I do like to do that. Uh, do, you know, I got kids in multiple age groups now and, um, and doing multiple things. So I think staying in touch with them uh, and, uh, and uh, we got family in Texas. So we do try to get back there um, multiple times a year. I think it's important. Do like to exercise, like I said, uh, but uh, those are kind of some of the main things. As a leader, we know that it is so important to have those really good relationships with our team members and also to really cultivate those relationships and those connections and networking, as you, you, you mentioned earlier. What are some of your coaching and mentoring styles that you use? So I think one is just to be very honest with people um, and, um, and always come at it from the standpoint of, um, you know, we're, we're a team, we're in this together. I want to be able to have a relationship with someone where I feel like I can say, um, you know, good and bad uh, that are, that is happening, but also to your, use your word approachable, uh, that people can tell me the same thing. And I think that that's very important. Uh, and, um, and from a coaching standpoint, I think it's very important to tell people when they're doing a good job uh, and be very specific about those things. Uh, like you did a very good job running this meeting today, or you did a very good job dealing with this problem um, that we were dealing with. Uh, because uh, people need more positive than negative. And so that when you do need to tell the negative, uh, it's going to make it much more powerful. Absolutely. And it's the same thing with kids. You know, it's uh, sometimes I have to say, okay, I've complained or made criticism about way too much. I need to be positive now. Um, And so it just has more of an impact on people. I agree. Having that passion uh, with the way you approach them, but also let it be corrective as well. So you want to start with the good first and then lead into those corrections. And it could, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad, but there are some corrective things that need to be done. And I think that's so important. Who has made a tremendous impact in your life, personally and professionally? So, um, that's a great question. I think there, you know, like a lot of people, parents have, have an impact and they've always cared about everything that I've done. And, and I've always known that, um, that I've had, they've had my, or they've always supported me. Um, my, my dad, I think is probably, um, one that's had a huge impact on my life. He was a, um, football and basketball coach, uh, when I was growing up and, I actually had a leadership psychologist that did a lot of work for all of us here in, at the, at, in the whole system. And uh, after a couple of visits with that person and he went through all this, you know, information about me and everything, he said, you know, you get your leadership style from your dad. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, so your, your, your leadership style comes from your dad. And I said, wow. So I think he's had a big influence on, on my life, even though he's in Texas, we talk probably four or five times a week on the phone. I'm coming home from work. 
Um, and so um, the other, I think the person that had um, an impact personally uh, on my life is my grandmother. So she, um, an amazing person and just one of those people that always tried to help um, people no matter what and never had a bad day. Um, and she just touched everybody. So, um, but uh, she died about 10 years ago. But, we have uh, something in common. My grandparents raised me, Guy, and I will tell you something. Having that good rooted wisdom will just make a great impact on your life. So I truly know how emotional it can be. And, you know, when you have that good old, what I call that good old wisdom, um, you know, put into you with good morals and values, man, you can turn out to be something so dynamic. And that is exactly what you have become. And I know that your grandmother is so proud of you. And she is smiling down going, that is my guy. <laughs> so I truly understand that. When you walk into a room and you are around your peers, what impression do you like to leave when you exit the room? I think the, the one thing that I like to leave is that people want to work with me. Our, our jobs are so complicated um, at times and, and can be very frustrating at times and it, and it can be, you know, a challenge. I think, I think the one thing I like, I would like to have is that they, they want to help. Um, so that's, I guess, maybe the simplest, but the most accurate thing I could say. Oh, I love that. And that's deeper than most people will even imagine. But I do like that. And what are some of your strategies and tips and techniques that you can offer to a young careerist that is thinking about going into healthcare administration? You know, one is uh, you do you do have to realize that there's going to be a constant learning uh, and a constant evolving. I think the other thing is I would wish I would have known more when I was younger is the importance of emotional intelligence um, and uh, understanding uh, people, understanding how you, um, why you react the way you are, uh, why you, uh, what your impact on others is based on how your, your interactions, um, you know, the things about why do you get frustrated? Why is this making you feel insecure? Why is, you know, those kind of things, I think I would tell um, a young careerist to really be in tune to and constantly be asking yourself um, those things. Uh, and then I think the other thing is just being willing to change and adapt. Uh, you know, this, this industry is changing so fast and uh, it's constant and it's, uh, you just got to be able to be ready for it. And so because, nice. Otherwise, you'll be so stressed all the time if you're just, oh, why did this happen? Why did that happen? And um, we're in COVID has just exacerbated that. We've, we've seen so much change in our the people I work with every day. So many of them have gone off and got better jobs and new things and greater opportunities. And, um, and then I think there's been a lot of people that are just like, okay, it's time for a change. COVID has uh, put it 
that in a way that um, their work world that they're just ready for a change. And, and so I think um, you just got to roll with things. Absolutely. And one thing that I tell people all the time as I'm coaching and teaching them is you must be an out of the box thinker. So what are your perspectives on thinking outside of the box and not staying into that tunnel vision? And when you do have to merge in someone's lane to do it gracefully? Uh, I think that's a great comment. And I agree with you. It's uh, and I think it keeps you fresh. Uh, if you can think creatively, I, I think that's another characteristic I would say is important is uh, if you're because if you're, you know, everybody can be creative. Uh, but as a, especially as a healthcare leader, if you're not challenging yourself to think outside the box, then you do get stagnant. Um, and uh, even in things like you know, that are highly regulated, like our business, uh, you got to always be challenging yourself to say, okay, why is this the way it is? And, you know, there's probably a good reason, but there may not be. And what if we do it this way? And, uh, and I'll say that's happened at times of my career where I'll look back and I'll think, well, you know, I've just been kind of not really challenging my own thinking. Uh, for a while. And it, it you know, you kind of got to kick yourself in their tail and say, okay, it's time to start, you know, challenging yourself again. Absolutely. And I want to end with this because it has been a hot topic of getting uncomfortable. We tend to want to be comfortable in our respective fields and our lanes, but I believe, and I have experienced this, when you get uncomfortable, it pushes you to grow and to develop and to do new and exciting things. And great things can come from you being uncomfortable. Yeah, I think it's it's a very similar to thinking outside the box. Uh, one of those things that if you're if you're not ever uncomfortable, then you're not going to grow. Uh, and um and it's a fine line sometimes. And I, I will say that I've seen it with other people. I've been down this road. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you're not ever uncomfortable, you're not going to grow. But if things just make you so uncomfortable that you're not happy and you're not feeling like you're growing, you feel like you're going backwards, then that means you're going down the wrong path, likely. Mm. So it's a, but I, I definitely agree let's just take the pandemic. Right. We weren't able to just adapt. Um, many of us that get through this and, uh, and, and think outside the box and think strategically, okay, where are we going now? We weren't, we were going this way. That's not an opportunity anymore. So we've got to go a different way. Uh, and so, uh, and that's very uncomfortable. Um, but, uh, and, and, but then you eventually start saying, okay, we, we're going in the right direction here. And I think that that's the important difference between you're going down a wrong path and it could be your professional life. It could be your personal life. Um, and you're going in the right direction as eventually you're going to come to a point where, okay, now I see, um, now I see where we're going just like, you and I, when we went through the doctoral program, 
And, uh, you know, when we're, when you're doing the doctoral project at the end, you know, you don't, you know, at least for me, I'm sure it was, I think it's this way for everybody. Uh, you don't know how you're going to use all the data and everything. And how is this going to come out to a final product? Uh, it doesn't, doesn't seem like it's going to work. And then, but you keep getting, you're very uncomfortable and you finally keep working at it and it looks, and then all of a sudden it looks great and you're, finished and everybody's cheering and all those things. Absolutely. And the doctoral program at Sharp was uh, and is a wonderful program. And you and I both, I think you were in the first cohort and I was in the second. So we were kind of the testers for it, but we did have to become uncomfortable, even though we were already seasoned leaders in our own respective worlds, but we had to get uncomfortable so that we could produce a good product. And that leads me to my last thing that I want to cover with you. And it too has been one of those interesting conversations that I've had with some of my students. As a leader, I believe this, transparency is key. But also, if you are leading and you're doing a great job, great things will come from it. But it, when you're leading and everyone likes you, then you're doing something wrong. What's your comment on that, Guy? No, I, I, I agree with that. And, um, and you know, I will say, uh, I think one of my strengths is, is an ability to, to get people to trust me um, and to be willing to work with me, like I said earlier. But um, there are times where I frustrate people and, and I'm, I'll get stubborn on something. And I think that if you're passionate about something and you have a, uh, a, a goal, um, and especially with this as complicated as an organization like UMMC. Um, I hope people that disagree with me re re do respect me still, but there are times where what you see as vitally important done, um, it may be um, the antithesis of what's important to somebody else. So they may... Um, really put some roadblocks in, in your way. And, and, you know, I'll say sometimes the roadblocks may need to be there, um, you know, and so it may get you to focus in a different direction. But at the end of the day, um, if you're trying, if you're passionate about something and you're, and you're, um, you see the vision uh, of what you need to do and, and it's not working, um, then you're going to, um, you're going to upset people at times. Oh, absolutely. And it's our job to lead them appropriately and effectively. So not everyone is going to like you. And as a leader, if you can't understand that, then you may not need to be in leadership. Because when you are leading, and you're being very effective, you are going to have those disruptors. And those naysayers, I call them the negative Nancy's and the disrupting, you know, Dave's. But with those disruptors and those naysayers guy, they will make you a better leader because they will push you to think strategically or more strategically. So having those disruptors and those naysayers, I welcome them because it also gives me an opportunity to really see, am I doing things effectively? Do I need to change the way I'm doing something or allows me to really be more of a critical thinker? Guy, you have just been amazing, and I thank you so much for taking time with me today to be on the podcast. Are there any last golden nuggets 
that you'd like to leave with the listeners today as in terms of leadership, walking in your purpose, and truly serving in your passion? I think the only thing I would say is, is you're all capable. Um, go make a difference. Enough said. You are all capable and go make a difference. Dr. Guy Gieske, thank you so much for being on the podcast tonight. You have been amazing. Thank you for joining me in this episode of my podcast. I hope you have enjoyed this episode and that it has touched your life in some way. Remember that you are designed and equipped to do amazing things that only your special gifts and talents are meant to do. Continue to let your light shine so brightly so that you can lead the way for others to find you. Thank you for listening and do not forget to follow my podcast and share it with others. Your support is priceless and I believe in you. Until next time on the Dr. Zanzi McLaurin podcast, Powerful Purpose.